All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you to everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd firstly like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS River Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, none of this would be possible. All right, for this episode, we've got Anthony Rodriguez back by popular demand after the first one. Uh, got some great feedback on that, mate. So thanks for joining us, and how's life? Yeah, it's pretty good. Getting used to a new bike. Um, only put a day on it so far, but um, exciting things to come. Got to watch the race, so that was pretty fun as well. Wishing I was inside the track, but being outside, looking towards the inside, it's not a bad feeling either. Yeah, mate. Obviously, you're at the at parlor on the weekend, and... Um, Looked like a pretty good weekend, made a lot of talk about the track and um, how brutal it got towards the end. Um, how did you find it? Did, obviously, you were keen to just jump on a bike and get out there. Yeah, of course. I mean, I saw it from person. I did not see the TV stuff, so I might have missed a few tip-overs or whatnot. But um, I was on that right-hander right before the finish line, and it was pretty deep on the second moto compared to the first moto. The first moto, I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of rough, but it's kind of like one main good line compared to the others. And you could see people were having to switch lines a lot between first moto and second moto. So it was big difference between the two motos when it comes to the track condition. Yeah, it looked, it looked pretty difficult out there. And what was sort of some of the key takeaways? You saw obviously the Jet Lawrence, Chase Sexton, the 250 class was pretty wild, mate. It looked like a pretty great day of racing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, how fast those kids are going in the 250 class is scary. Because, <laughs> I mean the guy that gets the 20th in one moto could get eighth or seventh in the next one. It all depends on the start. I mean, the top 20 is extremely fast. Like I think 10th place was like two seconds away from the leader on qualifying. It was the, the field is deep there this year and it was fun to watch. Um, it was really exciting for me to watch RJ win that first moto like that. Cause I grew up racing him my entire life. I know he's really strong and persistent and yeah, it, it was Really exciting to watch him do that. Second moto, you know, he went down and he came back through the field. And the way he did it was amazing. I mean, I, I saw Justin Cooper not get that great of a start. And for him, it was hard to pass these people because, like I'm saying, everyone's fast. But yeah. RJ had that little extra where he was able to pass through guys like Levi Kitchen and Jordan Smith and other riders that normally you would see someone do two to three laps behind them before they can pass. And RJ was making quick passes. Um, I was actually pretty impressed with um, Bolin on that first moto. Yeah. He was ripping. Um, I was wondering if he was running out of energy on that first moto and he wasn't going to have any for the second moto. And I guess we couldn't really tell because the second moto didn't go that great for him. I think he might have had a crash in the first lap or something. He wasn't, he wasn't up there like he was in the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Jamar, I was excited to watch Jamar. Unfortunately, yeah. crashes in the first turn, I think, on both races. And so I think we're going to see him eventually go impresses again. Yep. Um, Ferran from Spain, his riding style was yeah. so smooth. It looked like he was just cruising around. It was pretty cool to watch something that different. Yeah. Um, I was pretty impressed with Shimoda as well because we all know he hasn't had a lot of time on the bike, right? Um, it's meaty. Jordan hasn't rode outdoors in four years yeah. or something like that. And even though he got a 13th and a 14th, those are numbers that are not that exciting. But like I said, if he would have started fifth, he probably would have finished seventh, you know, because it's just where you start with it. I mean, 
Moseman got 20th on the, on the first moto and he got 10th on the second after a crash because he started yeah. seventh and he was staying there. That's just like, it goes back to my comment from the beginning. Like yeah. the same guy that gets a 20th one moto might get a seventh on the next one because it's the same speed basically. Yeah, it was 450, pretty... obviously there was a bunch of gaps. Um, I think there was like, yeah, it was like five seconds between ninth place and second place on qualifying. You know, like yeah. we're in the 250. I think the five second gap was at 30th place. Like it was insane. Yeah. But, um, you know, the top three guys are, I think, are at a different level being Chase, Sexton, and um, Jet Lawrence, obviously, and Ferrandez. With that being said, Jet is a little bit ahead of those guys, right? He was a step forward. We saw Chase on that second moto step it up. Maybe he changed something on the bike. He was very vocal about not being able to ride outdoors a lot. And so I think he's getting better as the season go. So I think we're going to see great battles all summer. I hope Ferrandez is kind of on the same boat when it comes into getting better each weekend. Obviously, he hasn't been doing Supercross. So he's been doing outdoors for a while now. But hopefully there is a lot of room for him to improve because we all want good racing from the outside. Um, Plessinger Cooper, we're kind of like in the same pace. Um, Cooper hasn't really rode outdoors, so I could see him getting a lot better. Plessinger should be excited because he was near Ferrandis every lap. So that should be good motivation for him to get better. Um, if Sanford listens to this, he might not like it, <laughs> but it looked like he was just riding around, you know, like it was his job, like he had to be there. But you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe he's got a thumb or something that's bothering him, or maybe he didn't get a lot of testing or whatnot. We could see him get a lot better, but it didn't seem like he was on the same league of those other guys I talked about. Um, the two guys I know very well, LaCrucio and Butron on that Wildcat team, they're pretty good, yeah. actually. Um, Butron, that second moto, was really strong when it comes into fitness. He actually passed Cianciarella. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with like two laps to go, I think, or three laps to go, I was actually, it was a good racing between the two of them. So I was up watching that back battle as well. And after he passed him, he crashed in the last lap. So since Orlo got back by him, but eighth overall, I think he got on a bike that he's ridden like three times. That's yeah. pretty good. Again, we all know the field is not like it used to be. He got an eighth place, probably a minute and 50 seconds behind the leader, where before the gaps were not like that, but that is not to take away any credibility or reward from those guys. And anybody that's out there is, is a warrior and is fighting and is high level, you know, it's professional racing. But in my opinion, the 450 field is definitely got like four different paces in the top 10 that are pretty spread apart. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, obviously, seeing your mates, Lucercio and, and Boutron. Um, did you help them much set up that deal, obviously? They used the Europe connections of the JD Gunnicks, and it was mainly Lorenzo that was doing the heavy lifting with that, wasn't it? But um, must have been just so cool to see them out there. Obviously, Boutron said to – I heard an interview with um, Steve from Pulp saying it was just like a dream of his to to ride a national and to have a crack. So it was um, pretty pretty cool seeing them out there and just like, you know, Boutron's still racing the Spanish championship and ripping it up, and Lorenzo's just super talented like yourself, mate, your countryman. So – um, did you help them much with the program and um, will you be helping them much going forward? Well, I went there between motos and I told them what I saw and whatnot. I helped Lorenzo a little bit with setting. Everything that I told him that I was seeing from the outside was what he was feeling. So as a rider, it's always good that what you're feeling 
for example, with him, it was the forks, right? He felt like the forks were a little bit softer on the bottom end of the stroke. And when you think that you're never sure if that's what's going on or if maybe your shock's too stiff. So when I came to him and I told him, hey, I see this from the outside. And then it's the same that he's feeling that you know exactly which way you have to go. And same uh, info I gave to Butron, but completely different issue that he was having with suspension. Yeah. And I think it definitely helped him for the second model. But when it comes into creating the team and putting the sponsors together and all of that, I had nothing to do with that. All of that was um, Lorenzo. I was, you know, focused on my Supercross series. And um, we do have some mutual sponsors that helped that happen, like Fourier and Pepiteria, which are Venezuelan brands. So basically the team, I don't know all the details, but it's funded between, you know, um, Venezuelan sponsors, Lorenzo's that a little bit, and um, the JD Gonex team that used to be in Europe. So it's pretty cool and exciting because it is the first technically South American owned team that's ever been in AMA. So it was really exciting for me to see that from the outside with them, you know, not just doing out of the back of a van, like they actually had a good setup. Each rider had their own mechanic. There was a crew shift. So I see good things coming out of that. Um, and I was just excited for the both of them in, in general. And it's cool that I see Butron there because, you know, I was racing Campano and Paulo Alberto in Brazil, yeah. right? And um, Campano races Butron every weekend. That there's a race in Spain. Yeah. And um, I think Campano wins three out of five races against Butron, you know? So I'm like, wow. Like, I wasn't kidding when I was saying that Brazilian um, speed is actually that fast because yeah. if you add it up and you do motocross math, it's like... <laughs> Wow, Butron could have been top eight as well, and so could Paulo Alberto, and so could I. So, yeah, it was really, really nice to see that our level we had for outdoors in Brazil was as good as the eighth place in AMA Super Motocross today is. So it makes me think, like, wow, what if we just gave some opportunities to like some of the guys from other countries, you know, that we don't think they're that great, but you know, they show up and they do amazing. No one thought. Butron was going to pass Cianciarello, you know, on a factory car yeah. bike. So it, it was awesome to watch. It'll be cool to see uh, them get a third bike. And you race a couple of uh, wildcard rounds for obviously the Wildcat team. So obviously probably not going to happen. But um, back back to you, mate. What's seriously, you've got some plans to obviously um, sort of share with for, for the rest of 2023, mate. And um, have you been doing much riding as well? Well, I haven't been doing a lot of riding, not by choice. But um, yeah. everything happened kind of last second. Um, after watching the race this weekend, I definitely want to do a few outdoor rounds. I think maybe yeah. after the second round of World Supercross, there's a two-month break. Yeah. So, to you know, as a rider, you always want something to look to for your preparation. And if you go eight weeks without racing or anything, you kind of just plateau. So I think I want to add one of those rounds just to have a goal and a reason to do everything I do. Um I don't think it's a secret anymore. The team hasn't, hasn't announced it, but it's been on Vital Forums. It's been on Vital and Exposed. So I'm, I've signed with um, MDK. I'm riding your mate's race bike as my practice bike, which is Chat Reads from last year. So yeah. it's pretty cool. cool. So I'll be on a KTM 450. Um, so far, I've only had one day on the bike in the KTM factory test track. And then I was being really positive one day and I'm like, I want to put some hours on the bike. So let's just go Glen Helen with Supercross suspension. 
and that did not work out. That was the one time I can say being positive does not work out yeah. because I showed up to the track and I'm like, okay, let's just put hours on the new frame. You get, get used to it. And after the third lap, I was like, what, what is this? I, yeah. I, I can't do this. It's like taking a hard tail to a downhill mountain bike race. Like it's yeah. just not doable. So I actually just came back from the store. Um, AEO just got outdoor suspension for me. So I'm going to go riding tomorrow. And the reason I'm doing outdoors, even though we're only like 33 days from the first round of World Supercross, is because I can't find a Supercross track out here. You know, it's yeah. summer. It's really hot. All the factory tracks are basically shut down because they don't have a reason to keep them together. Pala and Lake Elsinore, they're not going to keep a track together for one rider to use it. I mean, yeah. on the West Coast, I think only Colt Nichols, Dean Wilson, and myself are the people that need Supercross track. You know, everybody mm. else is on the East Coast. So I'm going to do a lot of outdoor riding here soon and hopefully find a track in the near future. Because if not, after the second round, I'll probably be moving back to Florida and riding yeah. Supercross there. But given that I only have 33 days between now and the first round, I'm not moving across the country. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a crazy uh, setup, mate. Did you feel the initial impressions were on the Supercross track with the KTM? Was it comfortable? You felt good? Um, just as good as the bike you rode in Supercross this year? How was the comparison? Well, it's, it's hard to say because the bike I was riding before, I had put not as many hours on it that I wanted to, but I put a lot of time. Mm. So it was like an... It was like another part of my body when I used that bike, yeah. you know, like it was like that. And this bike, everything is new. It's a completely different language. And the KTM itself is very different than the Japanese bikes. Not in a good way, not in a bad way. They're just different, right? Yeah. So my first impressions were the seat foam needs to be changed. It was really <laughs> soft. I'm sure there's riders out there that like that. But once you're seated in one position, you can't move. Like it's just, yeah. it soaks you up. So I'm, I made that change. I'm getting a little bit of different foot pegs um, on a little lower just to have more room. But the bike did feel like it was planted on the ground when it comes to traction. It definitely had a lot of traction. That was my first impression. I actually told my suspension guy, hey, like I know a lot of guys like this, but I'm different. Like I actually like my bike on top of the stroke so I can play around, like change rods. Like, you know, like I'll, I'd rather be able to brake and jump breaking bombs rather than just feel like I'm going to train on tracks because yeah, that's how yeah. the bike fell. So we're working yeah. on that and making it a different. So yeah, it was the first bike that I've ever felt that stock is already turning too much. And that sounds weird, right? Because anybody, mm. everybody wants their bike to turn a lot. But what I felt was that the front wheel was really close to the engine, almost under my ankles. So it's like a really aggressive turning bike. Um, I went to different triple clamps and it fixed that issue right away. To me, that's an issue. I'm sure to a lot of other people, that's a plus. I just don't like a nervous bike, meaning that you turn your handlebars one millimeter and it does a lot on the front wheel, you know? So yeah. that was my first impression with the bike. Power curve is really good. It's a little bit on the luggier side. So for Supercross, it was a little weird. But yeah. that's all tuning stuff, right? But I did start with a pretty basic stock bike, and that's what I felt right off the back. Yeah, that's cool. Obviously, you're exposed to a lot of testing, obviously, in Europe, America, Brazil. You've raced, like, everywhere, mate. So you really do know what you want, don't you? And um, to the end of Supercross, mate, obviously, you had a really good result in Denver. Um, you would have been really happy with that. Great start. 
just blasted out of the line. It was pretty good at altitude, mate. Did you find that the breathing and stuff a bit tough towards the end? But getting an 11th place in a 450 main, that's that's no joke. So that's a good little way to end the season, mate, with a bit of positivity um, in the second last round. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, to answer the setup thing, like I'm working with the same suspension guy I had as a cruise shift when I was in Rocky Mountain in 17. So it's pretty cool to work with him because he knows a lot of the KTM people. And he's actually like, yeah, like only you and Reed and like, I forgot who else are actually going on the stiff side, like your regular Supercross setting. Like, but he said like, even on the factory KTM, everybody else has been going softer and softer and softer. And he personally doesn't think that's the way to go. I personally don't think that's the way to go on a Supercross track, but it was pretty cool to reaffirm myself that everything I was telling him was what he thought from a, mechanical engineer point of view from his side from outside the track and then going back on Denver you know I showed up it's hard to show up to a track that you know you're not the most prepared it already messes up with your confidence we talked before that you know I wasn't getting in training days because the team had their reasons they think a little different like they think you get to a level that you're good enough to where you only ride once a week and um, that's enough and that should be enough and in my opinion, you should be riding four days a week. And, um, you know, doing the one day a week thing was getting me really rusty. And that plays into your confidence. But I I was doing a lot of the gym, on the gym and I was cycling. Like I was working out seven days a week. But regular fitness doesn't translate to moto fitness. You only get your moto fitness on your dirt bike, right? So I knew I would get tired on that main event but also knew I was fast. Somehow I was still fast, even though I was riding once a week. Yeah. But, um, and that's what I was saying. They made me take a two week break after the round. So like, so yeah, I went 15 days without riding. I rode the bike twice and I raced Denver. But I'm like, this is my time. Like I gotta get a good start, show my speed and do what I know best, which is the first half of the race. Cause I don't have the other half because I can't train. So yeah. I did that. I started fourth. Colt passed me, I passed him back, and I fought there for a while. I think Roxon passed me on, like, the fifth or sixth lap, and then I tried to follow his line. And, you know, then I hit a wall. When I hit the wall, it was just survival. But then it didn't matter to me because I finished the race, and even though I got 11th, I look at the lap times, and I'm like, wow, I got the sixth fastest lap time of a main event in the 450 class, and I was 1.2 seconds away from Chase X. And, like, I've got something. I've got it, right? I just got to put the puzzle pieces together. And, you know, those guys ride four times a week. I'm riding four times a month. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, why didn't you buy a dirt bike and go riding? It's like, because every week they would tell me, no, next week we can probably ride two to three times. And yeah. so you wait on that. And the next week happens and it doesn't happen. Yeah. And they're like, well, should I go buy a dirt bike? And then, well, I can't get the suspensions that I have because they don't sell that stuff. I can't just get it. It would be completely different. So it was a weird, rocky boat. But, um, I learned from it, and here we are now with, like I said, like I'm buying a KTM to have an outdoor bike so I can ride because my team's providing me a Supercross bike. And it's not because the team doesn't want me to ride. It's because we can't find tracks. So it's like I'm investing out of my pockets because I want to put in the hours. And, you know, if I can only ride Supercross tracks once a week, then I'll do that. But then I'll make sure I ride three times a week outdoors, you know. So hopefully that's the one piece of the puzzle I need. I know we're only 33 days away from World Supercross. But um, it is also shorter racing, so 
we'll yeah. see. It should be exciting. Yeah, but obviously, you definitely just look at Hurlings like he's racing every single weekend off from MXGP because he wants the bike time, he wants the comfort, he wants to work on his fitness, work on the intensity because you can't replicate the gate drops in training. And like you'll say, mate, it's, uh, considering the lack of bike time you had, so impressive. Um, just imagine what you could have done with uh, with you know more riding time and especially in that 450 class, even though there was a couple of injuries by then, like six, you can't, six fastest time, you can't fake that, you know, it's in the books. And so just your overall assessment of the season, did you find, you know, being in being America again, would you gain some confidence from it or sort of a bit of a positive mix with some, obviously the negatives with the, with the riding time, but must've been cool just to be back out there, see the fans, be in those stadiums. Cause obviously you got a lot of supporters here too, mate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think there was any negatives, honestly. There were more like lessons, and I learned yeah. a lot. And um, you know, I didn't, I didn't race Supercross in four years. Like I had raced the Brazilian staff, and you know, um, nineteen I quit for a year. And when I was in Brazil, we only had six outdoors and three arena cross. And out of those six outdoors, three of them were double headers. Were like yeah. you race on a Friday one round, and then a Sunday a different round. So it's like it's a lot different when you come out here, and then you're racing almost every weekend, and Everything is definitely a confidence gaining process for me at this point, because for next year, I'm like, dude, if I could do that with no preparation, like what I need to do is grind now and talk to a team. And regardless whether it's a great team or not a great team, whether they're paying me a lot or not, like what I want is to start my preseason in October and have three months by the time A1 happens. Because like, look, I, sometimes I look at myself from the outside, right? Like, what would I think of Anthony if I just wasn't him and i'm like dude that's pretty cool that you can do that and motocross to you is basically like not even a part-time job because you write once a week you know it's like yeah part-time of a part-time job so yeah. like when i was watching outdoors i'm like man like it's cool that i could just grab a dirt bike and possibly get a top 10 on outdoors right now on a 450 yeah. race, you know like without any preparation but that again that's not good i want to see what i can do with the proper preparation you know so like that's my main goal i do nothing else but dirt bikes like when i'm not doing an interview with you, I'm stressing about yeah. what I'm going to do to be a better rider, you know? And sometimes there's only so much you could do, like in my Supercross situation. But I'm looking forward. Like I said, I'm, I'm ready to invest out of my pocket if I have to. And, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not racing for free. You know, I do get a salary and everything. But if I have to step out of the norm to go buy a bike for outdoor and put hours in, I'm doing that. Like I'm looking at the sport a little bit different and I'm still enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So things are looking good for me in the near future. I just hope I can find a supercross track out here in California. <laughs> yeah, but it's a cool perspective to have because obviously like yeah, fans and like journalists like me, it's like, yeah, it's sick what you're doing, mate. You, but you have that perspective that on, the, on the racing and you appreciate how cool it is what you're doing because it certainly is uh, bloody cool what you're doing, living your dream, mate. And you've, you've pretty much worked so hard at it. So you've done all these experiences, all these series, like it's just so unique the amount of knowledge you have on the sport. So even just for a team to pick you up as a, as a tester, you know, I was speaking to Lapino recently and he's coming towards the end of his career and he's like a dual role of testing and racing. And it's like, that's kind of, he's moving into the next chapter. Obviously you've still got many years ahead of you, but just that, that testing side and that knowledge of many bikes, surely that makes you a big asset to some teams. And are you already in conversations for next year's American series too? I am. Um, there's a 250 team that says something and, um, you know, I would rather be 450, but if I can be in a 250 that's competitive, then I would do that as well. I have no issues against that. I'm a very versatile, versatile guy where I can, you know, yeah. freestyle, free ride, dirt bikes, yeah. you know, Back whatever, flip. two wheels, I can do it. 
But, um, you know, in a perfect world, yeah, that too. In a perfect world, you know, like I want to be in a place where it's more stable for me. So like I'm going to be with MDK, KTM, 450. Perfect world. I do good enough for them to where they want to do Supercross next year because there is a little bit of talks on that where they would want to do AMA Supercross. And then I just carry on the momentum with them and I do AMA Supercross with them. That's in the talks. You never know, you know, but that would be perfect world. Am I against outdoors? No. I would love to race outdoors. But right now, this is the path that I've been provided. And so that's the one I'm taking. Yeah, it's cool, mate. And obviously, outdoors, you sort of feel just as comfortable on outdoors and supercross. So in a in an ideal world, it'd be good to get a, t- a team deal where you can do both. Is that part of your thinking when you're organizing this or just stick with supercross for starters? No, no, that would be a dream. I mean, it's funny because in the U.S., I haven't raced outdoors since 18, maybe before that. And so, like, people think I'm a Supercross only guy, you know, but here in America. But you being European, you've seen what I can do in MXGPs. It's like, nah, I can do outdoors too. Like, I've gotten fourth in the MX2 moto in MXGP. So, like, I can do it too, you know. And I love it and I like it. So it would be awesome to do a round here and surprise everyone because no one would expect me to do that great out here. Not because they don't think good of me. It's just like, come on, you haven't seen a guy do outdoors in five years. You think this person's only doing super crust. So I was looking at the rounds and realistically, one of the ones I could do would be Washugo and the ones after that. So, you know, I'm not going to go racing just to do it. If the time comes, and I'm feeling comfortable with the bike between now and Washugo, then I'll go. You know what I mean? Because there's no point for me to go and get a 15. If I want to go, I want to be, you know, near Cooper and Plessinger. You know, like they were fourth and fifth. They were away from the leaders because they were on a different level. But I think that's where I could be right now if I had, you know, eight weeks of proper preparation. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, you see like the Rockstar Husqvarna teams decimated with injuries like, I was just thinking then, like, it would be cool for them to put you on a bike for a couple of rounds even, like, would that be something that interests you? Like, has there been oh, any talks with that? A hundred percent. You know, I was, I was, before my World Supercross deal, I was going to go after that. Um, obviously, you know, that would have probably most likely not been a paid thing, yeah. you know, but I wanted to do it. And then World Supercross came and I chose that path. And also gave me a little more time to get used to the bike and whatnot. Because if I was to be a feeling rider for Husky, looking back, it, I would have probably rode the bike twice before this weekend, yeah. you know? So I actually had some ideas on Saturday. I was watching the race. I haven't talked to my team manager yet, but um, I'm definitely going to call him. He's got connections with other teams that use the same manufacturers. So yeah. it would be awesome if I could be like a guest rider for selected rounds in those teams. Because they share already like the same suspension brand, same bike brand and whatnot. So that would be ideal for this year. I would definitely want to get my feet into some outdoor rides this year. Yeah, it's cool, mate. And I'm just on the World Supercross. How excited are you about it? Obviously, um, they're sort of elevating the series again this year, a few more rounds. Um, Got Roxon announced, Nichols announced, and, you know, many other guys, um, Wilson, Anstey, Savachi, you know, McElrath, like it's a, it's going to be a pretty strong lineup and just cool for you to be one of the um, sort of exponents of the sport because obviously um, it needs to be shared around the world because Supercross is amazing and I'm sure the South American fans will be um, getting behind you too, mate. Are they, they excited to um, 
always see you. Obviously, there's heaps living all over the world. There's a lot in Australia. There's there's heaps in the UK and Europe. So yeah. you're just excited, mate, to to get back into it and just to race yeah. and race uh, again. I'm I, I, I haven't had time to think about all the cool countries I'm going to be seeing and whatnot. I should probably be more excited than I have been. It's just because right now, like you know, getting used to new bike, trying to find supercross tracks. Like I'm, I'm more focused on the present right now to be ready for those rounds. I've started buying my tickets for the races and whatnot. That's a little bit of a headache. It's a lot of <laughs> traveling, but that's also good. Um, so I am excited, really excited. And I heard someone comment the other day. It's like, oh, why wouldn't you want to do 250? There's only like two or three guys that are actually like AMA fast and. You could be a top five guy, but it's like, no, I'd rather be in the 450 packed field because if I beat Chisholm, if I beat Dino, if I beat those guys, it's just giving me more credibility to towards finding something for AMA for next year. You know, like I don't want to get a fifth, but the guys behind me are not known in the industry for being that fast. You know, like if I show up in the 450 class and I beat Cole Nichols, that's better, even though if it was a seventh, that's better than getting a third in the 250 with people behind me that are not that yeah. impressive to show to sponsors, you know? So, like, I like that there's going to be a packed field in the 450 class, you know? The top eight seems like a really good, fast riders, well-known factory teams in, in the past and whatnot. So, I'm excited about that. I could be that dark horse that's getting in between them. Yeah, do you, do you think... Um like the series from your perspective, you think it's um, being well organized. Obviously the guys are Aussie. They, they know what they're doing. They did a pretty good job, job last year. Have they approached you with any feedback? Cause obviously they got feedback and they're like admitted openly that they, you know, we hear bad things and we'll try and fix it. Like they fixed stuff from the first to the second round last year. It's cool to have that approach where they're happy to listen to riders and teams and try to fix things because um, you know, a lot of promoters of series sort of just, don't want to hear the negative stuff where it's cool that these guys have that open mindset. And like, if you said something to them, I'm sure they'd look into it. It's, it's good to have that refreshing approach. Isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's super cool. I haven't had any direct contact with them yet. Everything goes through the team manager, but I, every other day I'm getting an email like, Hey, we've got a deal with this hotel in the UK for everyone that's racing. So we get discounts or whatever. So it's very well organized. Like they remind you things before the race is like, Hey, make sure your helmet has, X or Y sticker so it gets approved by FIM. Like they think uh, of all these little details because obviously it's a little bit different than AMA. Like it's mandatory to use a chest protector approved by X or Y. So you can tell with all these emails and all the stuff is that they're thinking even of this smallest details, you know? So that's really good. I also know they're constantly emailing the team managers and whatnot. So they are willing to listen to feedback. And I think that's just gonna bring the series to the place that it could be, you know. Um, I love the USA program. I love the MXGP program. I love where this program could be at, you know. I'm a Formula One fan, not fully hit, like, you know, not a big, big fan, but I follow it. And, you know, like, it'd be awesome if it could be something like that, where, like, it eventually brings big sponsors that are not within the industry. And um, some gear brands might not like what I'm about to say, but some of the people in the industry I've heard make comments that are pretty smart the way they look at things now is like, oh, we rather not have a gear sponsor. We're going with a plain gear. And then let's say UPS wants to sponsor us and they want yeah. brown and yellow gear yeah. with a big UPS logo. We can do that. And you know, that, that's awesome because 
when you look at the Formula One guys, the gear doesn't say Alpine Stars, like gigantic, mm -hmm. you know, it's like barely in their shoulders. And then their main sponsors, the ones that are actually yeah. paying the big bucks are the ones that are visible. So I think that's something that could be really good for this series because they're not ran by the OEMs. So yeah. they could step out and do those mainstream things. Yeah, that's a good point you make. They're obviously having them around is good for the sport. It's good for the riders like yourself. It gives more longevity to careers, more opportunities for you guys because um, it's not easy motocross. Like there's not just rides going around left, right and center. Like it's for the non-factory guys, it really is challenging. So I reckon it's good for that point of view to give give that sort of access to you guys. And then talking to the gear, mate, that's that's definitely what the sport needs outside sponsors and just any any coverage of the sport to make it bigger. Do you feel that the um the American series feels any threat towards um World Supercross? Obviously the outdoors, once World Supercross kicks around, um, they might be you might be getting some dudes dropping in and out, obviously with the W the super motocross playoffs. Obviously, if the guys have enough points, they might start dropping off the few the last few outdoor rounds. So do you feel um the impacts being felt quite heavily in America of the WSX? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, let's be realistic. Like, Cole Nichols did amazing in AMA Supercross, and now he's going World Supercross. Why didn't he fill in at Husky? You know what I mean? Like, mm. he could have, couldn't he? I'm sure they talked to him. Yeah. So we're seeing a little bit of a weaker field in AMA Motocross because of that. But I don't think that AMA should be feeling threatened by them because think about it there's riders that are better outdoor riders and supercross riders that could mainly just focus on outdoors and i wouldn't be against the idea where teams start doing supercross only deals and motocross only deals like imagine if alessi could have kept racing outdoors only and the teams were paying them big money just for outdoors you know but once you can't ride supercross they're like no we don't want you in a factory team if you can't ride supercross maybe that'll start changing i mean you see Star Racing, for example, they have like, I don't know, seven or eight guys. And they even had Ferran sit out Supercross just to get ready for motocross. And yeah. I could see that happening in the future. Um, and I think it should be seen as two different things. It's like you have NASCAR and you have Formula One. Like they're not the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. But sometimes you see people like Montoya couldn't race Formula One anymore. And he goes and races NASCAR. Yeah. And that's how it is now. But in the future, I'm going to be surprised because, I mean, we heard it's no secret. Cooper Webb wanted to do World Supercross. Yeah. You know, like he didn't want to do outdoors. He is doing it now. But, you know, you're going to have big names like that wanting to do it because it's not Cooper's option or it's not his choice to be technically better at Supercross and Motocross. Trust me, the guy would probably want to be a winning contender in Motocross as well. He's super competitive. But sometimes you just, it's not your choice, you know? And it's the same with, I have the same issue with the 250, 450 class, how they make it an age different thing. Like in Europe, like look yeah. at Alex Martin, you know, like he was a really little guy, like his body, it would have been really hard for him to be competitive on a 450. So why should we talk bad about him for racing 250 outdoors for so many years? You know, he had different body, different issues. Yeah. And he chose the one thing that made him good, you know? So I don't think these industries should be scared of each other. I think they should work together. And that's mm. how the sport is going to become even bigger. I mean, I don't think World Supercross is going to go anywhere. 
Yeah. Uh, well but said. I do see the OEM. I do see the OEMs also feeling threatened by them because they're like, okay, now we have a big budget for American motocross and supercross. We have a big budget for world um, MXGP. Where are we going to find a big budget for this third series? Well, I don't think they need a big budget for that. I think you let the teams do it the way they're doing it now. Like they're part owners of the series. They go after outside sponsors and it's going to work out like that. Like you think Formula One, do you think the Red Bull team is sponsored by a car OEM? That's where they're getting the most money. No, you know, like they're not car OEMs paying for Formula One. It's other sponsors. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Obviously, the sport is actually very small compared to, you know, Formula Ones and soccer and NFL. So just any any more racing is and to keep the sport, you know, alive in the media and, you know, just to build buzz around it is good, mate, like you said. And just talking about the Supercross and the Motocross, the two disciplines, obviously, um, you see in, in, in Europe, for example, obviously, they focus so heavily on Motocross and you had three guys 17 years or under in the top 10 in MX2 in France, obviously, Kuhn and Rossi and Zanke and like that's that's amazing talent and then you look to America with their youth development is obviously mixed between both so um what do you sort of see as a contrast between young riders in in America and Europe because um there's certainly some differences obviously America's trying to bring in some stuff with these combines and futures and these kind of things to sort of maybe bridge the gap or take ideas from the EMX series but what are your sort of um thoughts on the state think, play I think MXGP has a way better um, program for the kids when it comes to getting them ready to be a professional racer, have a racecraft. And I think America Amateurs program is great, but it teaches you to be a five-last printer. The races are so short here. I think, I, I think, I don't know, but I think they've started to go to longer motos, but it's hard to go to longer motos when you have 50 classes at Loretta Lins, you know, like, and they actually do 20-minute motos, but they're there for seven days. I'm Comparing it to your local races, you know, they have P-dubs all the way to 55 plus years of age classes. So you have like 50 classes racing per day. These local races here, you race three laps. Sometimes it's like green flag, white flag, checker flag. Yeah. So it's like there's no racecraft being built into those riders for when they come pro. Obviously, your top athlete, your factory guys like Daniel Boyd, they've been doing 20-minute motos at home for God knows how many years, but that's not the norm. You know, we're in, Amer yeah. in MXGP. All your, all your local races are 30 minutes plus two laps. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, all the ones I race, I'm sure there's probably some that are 20 or whatnot, but I think they have a better program over there in Europe with that. I think America is working on it, but I do think they need a youth class that, you know, does some of the other races so that these kids can get their boots wet on... 30 minutes on the hot summer on how rough those, rough those tracks are. Hmm. There is no amateur race in America that will allow you to ride a track like Pala this weekend. It just doesn't exist. So if you're a rookie and that's your first outdoor ever, it is, you're, you're speaking a new language. You've never yeah. seen it. Never, ever. Where in MSGP, the EMX kids are racing the same track Hurlings is. You know what I mean? So whenever they're going yeah. pro, they're yeah. ready for it yeah it's pretty cool obviously the tracks in in europe are just so brutal like you know firsthand a lot of the american riders and, and and former riders would say like we would never ride a track like that it's just like no way that's just sketchy as is, is that what um you hear as well well yeah that's what i hear you know and like it depends like because i've seen it from both sides of the ocean 
right? So yeah. like in Europe, when you have those sloppy, choppy, unpredictable, accelerating bumps, yep. you've got to just trust it, right? There's only <laughs> so much technique you can use on unpredictable stuff. If something goes wrong, some or sometimes it's not going to be as bad as something in America. If something goes wrong on a breaking bump that's half a meter tall, yeah. you have more chances of getting hurt on that. You know what I mean? But in America, seeing the bombs, seeing the rods, it is more predictable, right? It is also different in Europe. I think you have some of the talented Europeans guy come to America and do good instantly. But, you know, when Lupino came over, I was expecting a lot out of him. And I think he got one top 10. Yeah. And I was like, man, if he could just ride tracks like AMA a little more often, I know he could be fighting for mm. top fives. Yeah. But then you take some Americans and you take them to an Italian or France hard pack track, and they're not going to know what to do. I mean, I remember when I went to race with Jordan Smith in Bulgaria and said, Lievo, like, the guy didn't know what to do on flat tracking, you know, like there's it's drifting. You're breaking drifting. It's like he's never done it before he went there. So they're both gnarly. They're both insane yeah. gnarly. They're just different. Yeah. Very different, cool to, actually. A lot more different than people think. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see Chambers obviously going over there and racing some MX2. And now Simonson's just headed over to um obviously you were just racing against him recently. He's just headed over to race with the SM action guys. So and you see with the results, Chambers has sort of had a bit of a mixed bag. He's had some bike issues, but um, yeah, it's not easy. That's for sure. It's definitely a wake-up call coming over there. And just your thoughts but, on MXGP as well? You've been happy with the Yeah, team? yeah. Like, I personally don't think Chambers could get a top 15 in AMA, but he's getting them. I think he got a 12 best moto mm. over there. So that's pretty cool. But then again, you can't really compare the MX2 class because of the age thing. Yeah. If we had a 22 age limit in AMA, half of the field is gone. Yeah. You know, probably more than half of the field. So Chamber's speed, even though he got him a 12 in his best motto there, probably would be like a 24th or a 20th here. Wild guess. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't know. I think that's yeah. what it would be. But it would be unfair to compare those two classes just because the age gap. Like, I mean, RJ, all those, up, most, most of the field is above 22. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And um, just MXGP, the racing this year has been pretty good, mate. Obviously, had some injuries to, to guys as well, sadly. Obviously, Guadagnini, Renault, Lagenfelder, Iago, Gertz, just on that big downhill in France. Um, who, do you, who do you think? Oh, um, I was bombing that. Oh yeah, man, it was shocking. So, hey, who do you who do you see in the classes winning the titles, mate? Obviously, it's still too early, but that Prado hurling battle shaping up pretty well, and and so is uh sort of out of Adamo to Wolf and and Beniston in MX2 now with um, Yago probably going to be out for the best part of a month. So it's it's awesome racing all over, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Yago is like still second in the points, or maybe first by one yeah, point. I think he's really first. close. If he misses, if he misses one more round and he's able to come back and just score points towards the end of the championship. That's going to be fun to watch. Cause I think he still has a chance to win it. I saw his last Instagram post. I haven't wanted, I can DM him. Like we talk every now and then, but I didn't want to bother him. It's kind of like not the time for that. I'm sure he's yeah. bombed, but um, 
his Insta post was very positive. He said everything that the doctor said were way better than he thought at first. So I could still see him win the championship. I feel like he kind of deserved it. If not, you know, there's a lot of fast kids that are going to make the championship um, very exciting. One guy that I was expecting a little bit more out of was Ron by the Moscow. Probably we know he's had injuries or whatnot, but he's a veteran and he should be very well. The Husky kid, Kai the Wolf, you know, he hasn't won a race yet. And I think his time is coming. He's definitely really fast and talented. The Cohen Husky kid is really good as well. Yeah. Like ben is that we all saw his speed last year. He could pick it up anytime, you know, because last year he was battling with Diago. And this year yeah. he kind of wasn't, but maybe that he sees there's more of an opportunity for him to win the championship again. He'll pick it back up. So that's really exciting. I think that's going to be an exciting class to watch. The 450, we all know Hurlings can step it up. Or we all think that. So I think everybody's kind of like, oh, he's probably going to have the championship, right? Because he has room to grow and proud is probably the limit. And I don't know. I think they're both probably already at race speed. And I think that's how it's going to stay throughout the rest of the year. There's a lot of people saying, oh, Hurling's going to start winning in one of the few rounds from now. And he's just going to win them all towards the end. I I don't think that's how it's going to go. I think the, the field has gotten to that fast speed that only Hurlings once had. Um, and I think Fernandez, I think he's yeah. going to start winning races here soon. That guy deserves a lot of props. I used to race him, and he wouldn't even finish the motos, and when he <laughs> did finish them, he would finish 20th. You know what I mean? Like, this is way back when. This is 18 or whatever. Yeah. But props to that guy from coming from a back, meet back, pack of the field towards a 450 proper potential winner. So yeah, it's pretty cool. that's really exciting to watch him do that. Um, I don't think we've seen Romain's favorite full potential yet. It'd be exciting to be able to get him to his full shape here soon. And, you know, I was hoping for Rato would get in there. <laughs> he had that one crash and he's kind of been taking a few steps back. But um, I think he's your dark horse. I think he's only like 22 years old, maybe younger. Mm, yeah. So we could see him taking big leaps here soon as well. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great class. And like you said with Fernandez, he's kind of like uh, maturing really well this year. Obviously, he's like very so fast, but he obviously has the crashes quite a lot. Kind of like RJ Hampshire. He's got that, got that yeah. crash in him. But this year, he's obviously first year on the HRC team. All that pressure and expectation, having to develop the bike by himself without Geyser. Um, yeah, he's doing really well. You, you must give him... Yeah, he's doing really well. Then. I actually just saw the YouTube episode that NXGP drops every now yep. and then. And it's a lot of pressure on him. He's on the back that won last year's World Championship with the same team, the same staff, the same conditions. And it's like, you know you can get it done. And that could either break you or make you. And for him, it's working out. And it's awesome because he, it's not something easy to handle when you have that pressure on you. Something that comes natural, whether you can handle it or not. And he's one of those luckiest guys, you know, he, he knows how to handle that. He's going forward. And also the, the Yamaha guys, you know, I was kind of bummed that Renox got hurt. Yeah. Um, I think Koldenov is one of those guys that sometimes he just picks it up mid season and then does well. kind of like how old Tomac used to be not so well yeah. on the first supercrosses and then really good towards the end. So that could be happening for him in the near future. Seaward, we all know he's always really fast. So 
he can be a potential. That 450 class is just really fun to watch. You have so many guys that are just so good. Yeah, and obviously Prado with the qualifying races, um, winning five of them already, that's sort of thrown a bit yeah. of a spanner in the works. And it's actually, C was actually got the last five hole shots, which is pretty impressive. Obviously, Prado is yeah. usually the king of that, and they both got six each on the season. But um, how much of a spanner in the works is that qualifying race throwing? It's allowing Prado to not be so aggressive on the race day like we're used to seeing. He can just manage the weekends, get the start, and just sort of build the points, isn't he? It's impressive. Yeah, I think he was one of the smarter guys, you know, like a lot of people were probably like, let's save ourselves a little bit on Saturday and have two strong motors on Sunday. But um, his tactic has been working. I mean, he went into the second round with a red play without winning any of the main events. He won a Saturday race, didn't win the GP, and he showed up in the second round with a red play, winning the championship yeah. at that point. So I think he was really smart, him and his group of people around him. They know he's a good starter. They know he can win those. Are they 20 or 25-minute motos? Ah, uh, the 20, the 20, qualifying. Yeah. So they know he can win them. Um, why not? You know, like battle them. He battles them like if he's the last moto of a Sunday. Obviously, we know in the past he was not the best guy when it comes to fitness. But he's impressed me. When I saw him race that hard on Saturdays, I thought, you know, second motos on Sundays were probably going to be a little hard for him. But I haven't seen that gassed out, no energy guy. He, I think he's putting the right work. Um, he's a younger kid in, in the front field. So yeah. that's also an advantage to him. So I think his whole approach towards those racing races are is the same approach I would have taken. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Obviously, he's training with Joel Smets and Adamo is also training with him and getting excellent results. So the work they're doing is um, sort of testament to that. And just just a couple more before we let you go. Just a word on Calvin Vlandra and obviously going under the radar a bit, a complete rider now, not just, you know, people know him for the sand riding and that incredible win last year, but he's like doing so well on a basically stock Yamaha with just a little bit of, you know, clutch he was saying to me. Um, yeah, how good's that? Six overall in the championship on a one-man team, private team. Massive respect. You feel you know him, do you? Yeah, massive respect. I do know him, and I, you know, I raced him. I had a lot of battles with him, and it's awesome to see him do that good. Um, you know, I was hoping he would win Sardinia again. That yeah. didn't happen, but I'm really impressed with the hard pack riding lately as well. That's awesome. Um, people were wrong when they used to think he was only a sand rider, you know, a sand specialist, because I've raced him in hard pack. I know he's really good in hard pack. Maybe he did have a little bit of a plus in sand, but it wasn't like black and white you know like oh he can only ride yeah. sand you know and people some people thought that and i knew he could do very well so am i shocked that he's sixth in the championship no i expected yeah. that out of him you know i know he's very talented um also you know thinking of him made me think of another guy and that's valentin Guilla. you know like, yeah he's been yeah. off the radar really like he sucks to say but he's sucked the last few years and we remember him, I think, from the Kimea Yamaha years in 250 where he could be a potential winner on MX2 class. And then that guy never showed up. It's like he decided to skip school day, <laughs> like didn't yeah. show up ever in 450. And now this year we're seeing him after all this year. And that is so cool to see. It is so cool to see him and Benoit Petrel kind of like getting yeah. themselves towards the front again because it's like it gives hopes to those guys. It's like motocross is not a linear thing where you get better, you get better, and then you become pro. And if you go downhill, then you can't climb up the ladders again, because that's kind of like what's been happening in the last 10 years. It's like 
you see these guys get really good and some of them get an injury or whatever and they come back down and they can never get back up there and seeing guys being able to do that is amazing like it makes me think of my career i'm like i'm only 27 you know like i'm only 27 because yeah. i'm not burned out and i feel like i could go to 34 35 where before it's like shoot they're 27 that's when bilopoto donji and all these guys retire yeah. like that's it and now the whole industry is like wait hold up there's 10 more years to it right like yeah i'm racing campano in brazil the guy's 38 yeah and we raise four 35 minute motos in three days because we have those double heaters and second moto on sunday the guy's fastest lap of his own race three laps to go so it's like wait 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 that whole thing where you get older and your fitness is not as good it is not true do you have to work harder to be able to maintain it yes a hundred percent like i need my eight hours of sleep being 27 when yeah. i did it when i was 22 <laughs> you know what i mean so there's a little bit of differences on that but it's like i'm really excited i was I was a little bummed when Caroli retired. I'm like, no, dude, yeah. you got three more years. Come on, you got this. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, mate, you got many years ahead of you. Look at, yeah, Caroli, many years, Chisholm, uh, Lapino, all these guys have got so many more years under their belt. And just like you were saying with Gio, That's getting brilliant. five you know, like, oh. five straight top 10 overalls for Gio and, you know, six overall last weekend. Like, he was close to quitting. And to have that sort of a comeback, it pretty much speaks to what you said about the career doesn't have to go one way. He can have ups and downs and still recover. And those guys are putting themselves in the window for factory spots, aren't they? Because it's going to be a big silly season in Europe. So yeah, 100%. You, it's going to be tough. And also in the future, we'll have a triumph coming in and Ducati. So there's going to be raw rides for more guys, mate. And um, would you ever consider MXGP again if the opportunity came up? 100%. <laughs> I would be so excited about racing MXGP again. You know, and it's funny because talking about what we're talking, it's like when I was 24, and I didn't have a ride. I'm like, dang, man, I have like three, four years. Like I was concerned about the time, you know, like, oh, this clock is counting. And now I'm not. It's like, yeah. dude, I got way more. Come on, we got this. <laughs> so like, would I love to do MXGP again? A hundred percent. I would want to be there. Like, it would be awesome. Like, that's what I like about this sport. Everything I do in it is for me, not for the money, yeah. not for the team. Like, and it, let's say I do great in World Supercross and, Oh, you got a top five in the series. Why wouldn't you want to do it again? Oh, because MXGP is something I want to do too. Yeah. And I'll probably come back to the World Supercross. Like, I don't mind jumping back and forth. With that being said, ideal world, I would have all these offers and I choose which <laughs> one I go to, right? But um, I, I, I know myself very well. There's very few people that know me very well. You can count them with one hand. And yep. those people would know that I'm telling the truth when I say, if I was Jet Lawrence and I had all the options in the world, I'd probably go to MXGP in 24 and then yeah. come AMA in 25. <laughs> like people that know me very well know that I would be doing stuff like that. Yeah, it's cool, mate. You can tell you just have so much passion and, and knowledge and you just love it. You just want to ride. That's, that's your racer's racer, eh? You just want to ride the bike, mate, and do the best you can and put the work in. Like, it's not like a job for you. It's, it's everything, isn't it? Yeah, it, it honestly doesn't feel like a job because this is what I would do if I had a regular job. This is what I would do after five when my job's done. You know, like if I yeah. if I had to live the regular life, what I currently do for a job is what I would do for fun. So I'm I'm blessed to do that. And who wouldn't want to take every year out of that possibly, you know? Yeah, that's cool, mate. Just well, just a couple more before we let you go. Um, 
just uh, Latvia this weekend for MXGP and obviously Hangtown for AMA. Uh, predictions, mate, who have you got? And obviously two, two very different tracks. Um, Latvia, uh, Mitch Evans was saying uh, one of those tracks who, who's got the biggest balls and can send it the hardest. And um, So what do you think of that track? And also just, yeah, predictions for the weekend, mate, and all those classes. Hangtown is a very hilly track compared to Pala. Track is really rough. Um, so I think the stronger physically guy might win that race. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if um, RJ wins again one of the motos. I think Hunter is a potential winner as well because you need a lot of racecraft and um, line choices, and he's really good at that. Um, but the 250 class, is hard to just pick one guy, right? Because you got even Justin Cooper, who's so fast. And then you have the raw speed of the John Deegan. Like, he's not scared to send it because he doesn't even know when he's going to get tired or if he's going to get tired. So yeah. he just does it. Like, I think it's too early for um, um, Tom Vial to get one of those weekends where he opens our eyes. He kind of did that on the second moto in um, Pala. Yep. But I think if I had to go with my gut feeling, I think RJ will win the 250. That's my prediction. 450. Um, it'd be hard not to pick one of the two red guys, yeah. right? Yeah. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if Chase wins this one because he's just a little bit stronger. But with that being said, Jet doesn't need the strength because of his riding style. He doesn't need the strength. But I know the track is really, really rough. So that's why I think I'm going to pick Chase for this one weekend. MXGP, I think I'm going to go with um, Venistar. I think that Yamaha bike is really good on that type of track when they're, you know, like a little bit more American-style dirt. Um, It just has more torque, and I think that's going to help him a little. And in the 450 class... It'd be hard not to pick either Hurlings or Prado, but I think Prado has been getting better starts. So overall, I would think Prado has a good potential because he's also one of those really skilled technique Mm -hmm. guys. And when it comes to Latvia, it is not one of those unpredictable full send mode type of tracks. It is more of your technique type of rider, right? Because you can actually get into the rod. You have traction. The braking pumps are predictable. So I would go with Brad on that one. Oh, awesome, mate. Yeah, thanks for your insights. And uh, it's been great having you on the podcast, mate. We could bloody keep talking for ages, but um, we'll wrap that one up here. Sure. And we'll just say thanks to the sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, there is no us. So thanks again, um, Anthony, mate, and all the best for the uh, future and um, getting that motocross bike sorted, uh, ready for World Supercross and getting the Supercross bike sorted too. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Um, This is going to be a fun summer. Maybe we'll get to catch up here soon again. And thanks to all the fans, obviously, that watch the show and sit here for an hour with us. Those are the ones that keep the sport going. So thank you all. Thanks, mate.